Wow, y'all got dark out there. <laughs> well, here we are on the last Sunday in 2021, and uh, I have a question that came originally from a group of wise men. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? Where is he? Have you found him? It was a question that began the story that we call Christmas. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? The last two weeks, I talked about this idea of anticipation. It is an anticipation for a king and a kingdom to come. And we pray, since we were children, we were taught to pray the Lord's Prayer, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I ask a question today in the midst of all the chaos of our modern world, do we really desire it? Are you sure for his kingdom to come? Do you want the king of heaven to come to this earth and reign in power and authority? Are, are you sure? <clears throat> A lot of people would say, yeah, but, but are you sure that's in your heart? One of the tests of that truth is do you want it now? Or do you like the idea of it just being somewhere out in the distant future rather than like right now, today? That's a good test. What about today? I know there's a country song. If it's not, it ought to be. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. The idea that in heaven there's no more suffering, no more pain. It's glorious. But if the pathway to heaven is physical death, then why would you fear death? It's a great question. But what about today? Do you want his kingdom to come? His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? When John the Baptist came to fulfill a 750-year-old prophecy of Isaiah, he said this. It's in Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was repent of your sins, turn to God. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is the, a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John told the people that they needed to prepare. When John the Baptist came, he, he had a message. You need to prepare. You need to clear the road. You need to get rid of the stuff that might keep you from finding him when he arrives. And it's near. Prepare yourself. Prepare others. Do you think that would have application today, church? Prepare yourself. The kingdom of heaven is near. Prepare yourself, prepare others. I told you last week in the message that when a group of people, hopefully it's called the church, really comes to realize that the return of Christ is imminent, it's near, it's at the doorway, you will do two things. You will prepare yourself and you'll prepare other people. Yeah, you will. You surely would. And that was the message of John the Baptist. Clear the road, prepare yourself, prepare others. John knew that Jesus the Messiah was about to be revealed. The king from heaven was about to be revealed to the people of the earth. And they needed to, number one, repent, turn to God, prepare yourself to meet him. Clear the road, the things that are in your life that might prevent you from recognizing him. Get it out of the way. Prepare yourself. Does that message have application today to the church? Yes. Jesus gave these instructions to his disciples later on when he went out to preach. He told his disciples this, Matthew 10, 5. 
Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. Now, you need to understand that. We're a bunch of Gentiles. In his original sending out of his apostles, his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of half Gentile, half Jewish, but they were, uh, don't go to them. Don't go to them. But only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them what? The kingdom of heaven is near. That's the same thing John said. This, the truth is this. There are many that don't want this king. There's been announcements, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the kingdom of heaven is near. But the truth is many don't want this king. They don't want his kingdom to come, not to this earth, not yet, or maybe not at all. Why? Why? What, would, what in us would make us not want this king and this kingdom? It's a spirit war. Matthew eleven twelve, 12. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching, this is what Jesus said. From the time John the Baptist began preaching, what was he preaching? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Clear the road, make the path straight. From the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And violent people are attacking it. Can you see the spiritual war? The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is forcefully approaching. But there is an opposition force trying to keep it from advancing. There cannot be a kingdom without a king. So let's begin with that truth today as we begin to clear the road for this King Jesus. If you want the kingdom, then you must accept the king, right? So let me ask you a question. Today, right now, where is the kingdom? Where is the king? I wonder if I ask the church to fill out a paper today. Right now, today, this moment, at uh, 9.02 in the morning, where is the king and where is the kingdom? I wonder how many answers I would get. Do you know the answer? So let me ask you four questions. First question is this, is he, King Jesus, reigning in heaven? Right now today, is Jesus, King Jesus, reigning in heaven? Question number two, is he reigning in Jerusalem today, right now? Question number three, is he reigning on the earth right now? Question number four, is he reigning inside of you? right now. How would you answer those four questions? Is he reigning in heaven? Is he reigning in Jerusalem? Is he reigning on the earth? Is he reigning inside of your chest, inside your heart, inside your temple? This is a temple. It's a tent. The Jewish people were looking for an earthly king. The Jewish people were looking for an earthly kingdom. And, and why? Why would they look for that? Because they used to have a king, and they used to have a kingdom, and it had been taken away. And they wanted an earthly king and an earthly kingdom to run off the earthly kingdom of Caesar and the Romans. You and I know that was not Jesus' plan in the first coming. You and I know that, right? That was not his plan, not in his first coming, to run off the Caesar and the Roman kingdom and establish a, another kingdom. Not in his first coming. But why did he say this? We know that. But why did he say this? In Luke 17, verse 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? You see, they had expectancy. They had anticipation. When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God, here it comes, is already among you. The funny thing is this. The king was standing right in front of them when they asked the question about when's the kingdom coming. 
and the king is standing right in front of them, but they couldn't see the king. And because they couldn't see the king, they couldn't recognize the kingdom of the king. They didn't recognize him. Was the king and the kingdom on the earth at that time when they said, when they asked Jesus, here, here we go. I asked you four questions earlier. Let me tell you what the Bible says. When they asked him the question, when's the kingdom of heaven coming? Was the king and the kingdom on the earth at that time when they asked the question? Yes. But God's kingdom purpose was not going to take over the kingdom of Satan and the Romans, not yet anyway. But was he there? Yeah, he was there. But it was not his purpose that at that moment he was going to take control and establish his earthly kingdom. Not, not yet. Was the king and the kingdom on the earth at that time? When Jesus was in the flesh, yes, yes, he was there. He is the king. He is the kingdom. Was there another king? So, so he's there on the earth. But here's the real question that I, I'm afraid many in the church still don't get it. And when you see the affairs of the modern world and all the chaos that's going on, you're missing this. Was there another king on the earth at that time? And I'm not talking about Caesar. Was there another king on the earth at that time when they asked him, when's the kingdom of heaven coming? Was there another king on the earth at that time? Another supernatural spiritual kingdom? Yes. Yes. Let me prove it to you. Jesus was casting out demons while he was in the flesh, right? Time and time and time again. He would come and cast out demons. And Jesus was in a, a human body. And those demons were operating under a power and an authority of whom? Satan. Satan, the current king at that time, and the current ruler of the world, had demons operating under his power and his authority. But when Jesus, a king in himself, the king in himself, came, he could cast out the demons under the authority of the other king. This is like a confrontation, a spirit war between two kings. One is legitimate and the other is illegitimate. But he is real and he is powerful. Let me read it to you. In Luke chapter 11, verse 14, one day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed, but some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. You think they didn't know about demons? You think they didn't know about Satan? You think they don't know about him? Of course they know about him. But they're accusing Jesus' power. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. What? You, you, are you a king? What kind of authority do you have? Verse 17, he knew their thoughts, so he, Jesus said, any kingdom, here we go, here's the kingdom. Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say, I am empowered by Satan. But if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom, Jesus is acknowledging his kingdom, how can his kingdom survive if he's fighting with himself? And if I, now he draws attention to himself, and if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said about me. But if I am casting out demons, listen church, but if I, as a king, am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. And you know what the problem is? You can't see it. You don't even know it. 
Verse 21, for when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. And how does this whole story start? Jesus goes and strips off his weapons and throws away his belongings and casts him out of that man. There's somebody stronger. Verse 23, and Jesus summarizes this whole story about the demon war and the kings and the kingdoms. And he says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. This is my point today. The king and the kingdom were on the earth at that time. But it was not the will of the true and rightful king to take possession of the kingdom of the earth, not at that time, not yet, not yet anyway. Was the king and the kingdom on the earth in the time of Jesus when he walked in the flesh? Yes, yes, but he did not take possession, not yet. Jesus proved his divine power over Satan time and time again by casting out demons and refusing to bow down to this false king. You remember when he was tempted in the wilderness? He refused to bow to the false king because he knew he was the true king. Let me give you a spiritual truth. Jesus was able to cast out Satan's demons, right? Time and time and time again. You need to get this, church. Jesus, a king, was operating against another king, a false king who has a kingdom. Jesus was able to cast out Satan's demons, but Satan could never cast out Jesus or the spirit of Jesus. You got to get this, church. You got to get this. The demonic power is a spirit power, and it is a spirit power inside of a person. And Jesus could come to that person who had that spirit, unholy spirit in him, and that unholy spirit would have to get out. So turn it around. Turn it around. Which one's the rightful king? Turn it around. Satan is a king. He's got a kingdom. He is powerful. He is real. And Jesus has a spirit, the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit comes into me, can Satan come to me and say, Holy Spirit, get out of Terry? No. But can Jesus come and say to a man who has the unholy spirit, get out? Can he? Yes. Which king do you want to follow? But let there be no doubt today. The king Jesus and the kingdom were upon the earth when Jesus was here in the flesh. This is where I'm going with today's message. There are two kings, and there are two kingdoms, two spirits, one holy, one unholy. And you and I must choose, everyone on earth must choose which king we will follow and which kingdom we will belong to. You get to choose. Jesus said this shortly after he went to the cross. Shortly before he went to the cross, excuse me. John chapter 12, verse 31. The time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world. Do you understand? Jesus is making an announcement so that you and I can understand that even while Jesus was on the earth, he, Jesus says, Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. In that text, Jesus declares Satan the ruler of the world. This is, his current, this is currently his kingdom. Do you understand that, church? And he is the current king. Yes, even today. Church, you need to get this. So when you see the things going on in the world, you don't think God has somehow abandoned us. This is part of the plan. It has been announced. It is clearly described. In that same text, Jesus declares that he, the rightful king, 
is going to be lifted up from the earth on the cross, declaring how he was going to die. And in essence, how he would defeat the false king in his own death. Two kings and two kingdoms. So let's start there. Do you believe that today? Both are supernatural. From a human perspective, they are both supernatural. But only one will be the king on the last day. If that's true, why can't people see it? The truth about the two kings and the two kingdoms. Why can't people see it? Maybe I'm talking to you personally today. Why can't you see it? Why can't you interpret the signs of where we live and what's happening in the world today in association with there are two kings in a spirit war? In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, that's us, and says, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. If you can't see it, why can't you see it? If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's only hidden from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, the Apostle Paul, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. I want to do this. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. What message? This message. The message I preach about two kings and two kingdoms and a spirit war. Therein lies the problem, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the revealed word of God is hidden when preached and there are some that cannot and will not see it because they have been blinded by a false king. He has supernatural powers. So let's focus on that last statement and see if we can help. It can help us understand how Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers. Here's the statement. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, which is the exact likeness of God. This message. They can't see the two kings and the two kingdoms. The revealed word of God. They can't see it. Is this new? Is this new that people can't see? People are unable to see the terrible consequences of bowing to the false king, a substitute king. And let's make that clear. This false king is an imposter. He's the anti-Christ. The spirit of anti-against Christ comes from this false king. And it operates in his false kingdom. Everything in the Old Testament is revealing Christ and this kingdom. So let's go back there and look at something. Let me give you some context. God had delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, escorted them into the promised land, the text I'm about to read. In this time, Israel had no king. They were led by godly men who had been personally appointed by God to judge or rule over the people under their true king, which was God the Father, okay? It was God's sovereign design that he alone would be Israel's king. Are you with me? It was God's plan all along that he alone would be Israel's king. And he would appoint judges underneath of his authority to rule Israel. But the king would be God, right? All the other people, all the other kingdoms of the earth, guess what? They had earthly kings, but not Israel. This set them apart from the governments and the kingdoms of the world at that time. Yes, Israel had a king. They had a ruler. It was God. He was their king. And then something terrible happens. The people of Israel cried out for an earthly king. They wanted to be like the other nations of the earth. They wanted to be like the world. Now, listen, Paul, before I even read you the story, who is the king of this present world? 
So if you want to be like the world, you're going to get the world's king. Be careful what you ask for. Israel had a king, God. Israel had a judge, Samuel. But that was not enough for them. Samuel gathers the people, and this describes that terrible event. When the people cried out for another king, they cried out for a substitute king, replacing the true king, and a spiritual picture unfolds. Because when you reject the true king, and you get the substitute king, you get Satan. Because he is the ruling king of this world. But you don't know that. That's why he's a deceiver. 1 Samuel 8, 5. I'll read it to you. Look, they told him. This is Israel talking to the judge, like the governor, Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, Samuel. Your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me. God said to Samuel, it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king anymore. This is not just a physical thing that happened with Israel. This is a spiritual picture of what's happened to the entire earth. They don't want me to be their king. They want another king. They don't have any idea that what they're really going to get is the other king, the imposter. Verse 8, ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed what? Other gods. Do you see it? It's a spirit war. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Everything in the Old Testament reveals Jesus. You must read the scriptures with this in mind. They weren't rejecting Samuel or Samuel's sons. They were rejecting God as their king. They wanted to be like the world. Can you see it? The problem is, who is the God of the world? They wanted to be like the world, and the world, listen, has a king. His name is Satan. So let's fast forward from the time of Samuel to the time of the Apostle Paul in the church age, our age, and ask the question, has anything really changed? Two kings, two kingdoms. Has anything changed since Israel rejected God and got a false king? Anything changed? Let me repeat. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness, who is the exact likeness, who is the exact likeness of God. And when you reject Christ as your king, you are doing the same thing they did then. You're going to get the other king. It would be so easy for us to say today, why wasn't Israel satisfied with God as their king? You know, that'd be so easy. We could all be arrogant today, look at the story of Israel and say, what's the matter with you people? Are you crazy? It's not like the, this king that Israel had had not displayed his power, had not displayed his authority among them. They had all the miracles of Egypt. They had been led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And yet they still rejected him. They wanted to be like the world. But if you're going to be like the world, you're going to get the king of this world. And there will only be one king on the last day. Next, why couldn't the people in Jesus' day see him? You ever wondered? Because I do. He walked on water. He healed the sick. He made the lame walk, the blind see. The, he raised people from the dead. Lazarus is dead for four days. What more do you want? Those are two great questions. Why couldn't they see in the time of Israel? Why couldn't they see in the time of Jesus? Old New Testament. 
But that's not why I'm preaching this message today. Not why couldn't they see then in Israel. Not why couldn't they see in the time of Jesus. My question is, why can't people see now? Now. Why can't people see now? There are two kings. And there are two kingdoms. We have more evidence today than the people of Israel had. We have more evidence today than the people who walked in the time of Christ. Here it is. We've got more evidence than any of those people. And many today still can't see. There are two more biblical scenes I want to communicate today. The first one comes as Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem. He's going to lay down his life for the sins of all mankind, which will, in essence, defeat Satan. I hope you're ready for it because I'm going to tell you in advance before I read it to you. It's powerful and it is convicting. The king and the kingdom is about to be revealed with perfect clarity for all who will have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I apply that to right now today. I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 19, verse 11 through 27. And I ask you, I beg you, put everything out of your mind and listen to this. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Are you with me? What's the context of this story? They thought that the kingdom of God was going to come whoop, out, whoop the Romans, cast out Caesar, and Israel would be reigning over the earth. That's what they thought was going to happen then. So he tells this story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. What is that story? Here it comes. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empower empire to be crowned king and then return. Now, you're not going to get the story until you get the first sentence. Jesus says, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king so that he might return. Do I have to explain who that is? Jesus is describing himself. He is the nobleman that is going to very soon be called away to a distant empire, a distant kingdom, heaven, and crowned king by his father after the death, burial, and resurrection. And then one day he will return. And then he'll take the kingdom. All right? So this is his story. I'm going to read 12 again. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. But before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I, while I am gone. Where's he going? He's the, he's the nobleman. He's going to be leaving, going to a distant empire. He's going to be crowned king, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. After I'm crowned king, I'm coming back. Verse 14, but his people hated him. Now, this probably is a reference to the Jewish people. Because he came first preaching to them. But it, it extends to everybody. But his people hated him. What? What? His people hated him. And they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. He doesn't look like a king. I don't want him. I know he's going to go off to a distant empire and get crowned king, come back. We don't want him to be our king. And after he was crowned, they couldn't stop it. So after he was crowned king, <clears throat> he returned. And he called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. What did you do with what I gave you before I left? What did you do? I told you I was going to go get crowned king and come back. What did you do with what I gave you while I was gone? The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with a little. I entrusted you 
So you will be the governor of ten cities. Now I want to say something. A king and a kingdom. Don't miss this. You're going to be the governor of ten cities. A king and a kingdom. Stay with me. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done. The king said, you will be the governor of five cities, a king and a kingdom. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. And he said, Master, I hid your money to keep it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man. You're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked, lazy servant. You wicked servant. The king, he's king, right? The king roared, you wicked servant. Your own words condemn you. If you knew, <clears throat> you knew I was a hard man. You knew I was going to come back and give judgment. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king, the king, the king. Do you understand? He ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king, the king, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have, even what little they have, even the king says, even what little you have, you're going to lose it all. Everything. And I mean everything. It'll be taken away. And here it comes. Here's the verse that absolutely just pierces me. And as for those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right in front of me. Many people raised in the church can never see Jesus in the scene. This is him. This is him. It's his story. He told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. I declare to you today that Jesus has ascended into heaven to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Everything we ask of his Father, God the Father to the Son, he completed exactly as requested. He is now King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, the true king was there that day as he walked into Jerusalem, but they didn't want him. We don't want him to be our king. They wanted a substitute. It is the essence of idolatry when you substitute something for God. That is the last recorded event of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke before he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Do you know that? That's the last recorded event of Jesus before he enters Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to Hosanna. Save us, O king, right? Laying down their coats and palm branches. Save us, O king. But on Friday, it was crucify him. Why? What did it? We already have a king. His name is Caesar. Do you doubt me? By Friday, they were crying, crucify him. Let me read it to you. John 19, 14. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. I don't know if Pilate knew what he was saying or not. Look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? what? Why crucify your king? Pilate asked, we have no king but Caesar. Do you see it? Caesar's our king. Caesar's not your king. Your king, because you rejected the legitimate king, is the one that Caesar works for. His name's Satan. The leading priest shouted back, we have no king but Caesar. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to crucify him. They took him away. Can you see it? The scene was Samuel more than a thousand years earlier. 
We wanted an earthly king. Well, they got one, Caesar. Can you see it? A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. And before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want him to be our king. A king in a kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. I'm going to read it again. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil... If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So I've got one more scene, and it'll be the closing today. And this one's not historical. This one's in the future. And I believe, and I'm not going to apologize, it's coming soon. A revelation of two kings and two kingdoms. The true and rightful king is coming to the earth. And I'm going to tell everybody today he's coming to settle up. He's going to settle accounts. That story that he told about the 10 pounds of silver is real. He's going to settle up when he arrives. He has gone to heaven as a nobleman to be crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And he will one day return and settle all accounts. And on that day, listen, there will only be one king standing. I want to show it to you. In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and says, don't be fooled by what they say. That day, and we're talking about the day that the king, the rightful king comes, that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. The one who brings what? Say it out loud. Destruction. Destruction. I believe that is a specific description to the tribulation. He, the Antichrist, will exalt himself, defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. He's been trying that for a long time. Not the, not the Antichrist, but the one who empowers the Antichrist. He's the false god, false king. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what's holding him back. Church, do you know? What's holding back the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist? You know what's holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secretly until the one who is holding him back is taken out of the way. And I believe with all my heart that is the church. And when the church is taken out of the way by God, the Antichrist will then be revealed. Verse 8, and then, and then, after the one who is holding him back is taken out of the way, the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus, are you ready? Will kill him. Well, that's pretty plain. And then the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him how? How will Jesus destroy the Antichrist? By showing up. By the glory of his splendor of his coming. This man, the Antichrist, will come to do the work of the false king, Satan. He will do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. And he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. And why are they on their way to destruction? Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would have saved them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe the lies. And then they will be condemned, then they will be condemned, then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. There you go. 
two kings and two kingdoms. But that was King Jesus overthrowing the Antichrist, right? He's going to kill the Antichrist. When he comes, he kills the Antichrist. But the Antichrist isn't Satan. The Antichrist is a man inhabited by the spirit of Satan. So what about Satan? Well, okay, I'll tell you. Revelation 20, verse 1. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Stay with me. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Then afterwards, he must be released for a little while. The Bible tells us Jesus is going to reign as king on this present earth during the thousand years that Satan will be in prison. Are you listening? Two things will make everything different on this earth. Jesus will physically be here reigning on David's throne in Jerusalem, and Satan will be gone. He will be in prison. He will be in prison during the reign of King Jesus. There will only be one king. The other one, the false one, will be in jail, in prison. And I want to ask you a question, because this is important. I read to you the story about the, the ten Jesus, the nobleman, giving ten pounds of silver before he left. Did you notice something when he came back? He made one the governor of ten cities. And he made another a governor of five cities. When do you think that might have application? The Bible in Revelation clearly says that the redeemed of the Lord will reign with him on this present earth for a thousand years. He says it. I believe it. One will have ten cities. He will be the governor of ten cities, and the other will be a governor of five cities. But what about after that? What about, okay, when Jesus comes... He's going to throw the Antichrist and the false prophet into hell. He throws Satan into a bottomless pit prison. A thousand years, a king and a kingdom, right? Somebody say hallelujah. The redeemed of the Lord will come back in eternal flesh and reign with him on this earth a thousand years. What about after the thousand years? He will be released at the end of a thousand years for a little while. And then Revelation 20, verse 10. And then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast, who had been thrown in there a thousand years earlier, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented night and day forever and ever. I started today with this statement. We pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you really desire that? Do you want the king of heaven to come to this earth and reign in power and authority? Are you sure? Because there's a test to see if you're sure. One of the tests of that truth is do you want him to come and reign now instead of in the future? And some of you might, might think, well, how can I get him to where he could reign now? How? This is it. This is it. This is the whole reason for the sermon. If he's not reigning in you when he comes, he will not be reigning for, over you after his arrival. Do you hear me? He sits at the right hand of God today. It is his throne. It is his temple. One day, his throne will be here. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth after that. So what do we do while we wait? He wants to reign inside of you right now. He wants to be your king right now, today. So when you pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what you're really saying is, Lord, while I'm waiting for you to come and establish your earthly kingdom and kick out that false king, I'm asking you to reign in this temple today. I am submitting my life to your authority, your dominion, your power, your future today. Right now, today, I give my life to be the throne, your temple, right now, today.
Or you, or, and I don't want that one. I just want one day he makes everything okay. No, no. The only way he's going to ever make everything okay for you is if before you ever meet him, he is already your king. Everybody's going to want him to be king on the end. Every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord when he arrives. In Matthew 4, 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's my message today. It's his message today. Repent of your sins. Church, anybody like me feel like something's about to happen on this earth? This thing's getting wound up tight. At some point, something's going to snap. Something's coming. I don't know what it is. Don't know when it's coming. I just, every, the Holy Spirit inside of me keeps telling me something. You better prepare the church. The church thinks they're ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. They think they're ready. You know how you get ready? That king rules you now. The true king and his kingdom is alive and well today, reigning inside the hearts, the temples of the true believers of Jesus Christ. But one day, maybe soon, the king is going to bring his kingdom to this earth. You must bow to this king before he arrives. Are you hearing me? If you're watching online, are you hearing me? You must bow to this king before he arrives. How do you explain this parable of Jesus before he enters Jerusalem? To their cries of Hosanna. Luke 19, 26. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But for those who do nothing, those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for the enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. No one is neutral in this kingdom. Anyone who isn't with me, opposes me. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. When John the Baptist came, his announcement was clear. Clear the path. Make a straight way. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. Get ready. He's coming. Is that message applicable today? Yes, it's applicable today. Clear away anything in your life that keeps you from recognizing Him, that keeps you from worshiping Him. That, that anything in your life that sits on the throne of your life that you worship, that you adore, that you pursue ahead of Him. Take it all out. Get, it, get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's a false God. It's a false king. It is the essence of idolatry. It's a substitute. This is not a game. It's not a game. So today, we're going to sing a song. It's an invitation. I don't know. It's the last Sunday in 2021. What's coming 2022? I don't know. I hope there's a king and a kingdom coming to this earth for his bride. But if not, that king has already come for me. He's already come for you. Everything he needed to do, he already did. The question is, will you accept him as your king? We're going to sing a song. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you today, respond. Let's stand.